What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court for today, Wednesday, September 14th. I am your host, Sean Murphy, alongside my guy, Jeff Iafrady. Jeff, it's good to see you, my friend, as always, but I'm not going to lie. This feels a little weird, a little empty right now. What in the heck? But the reason why we tried to get our guy Troy on, we had some technical difficulties, and so today... It's just going to be you and me, my friend. We're riding this plane together. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. We, we got to hold it down for our guy, Troy. He's having some uh, some audio issues, but mm-hmm. he, he's got other things to worry about. He's got he's got better things in life that are happening. So shout out to Troy, man. We'll, we'll get him next episode. He'll be back. Yeah, most definitely. And, and the thing is, is, you know, right now, the other thing, too, is he is getting ready to go and get married. So I just want to say congratulations to, to our guy, Troy. We love him to death. Super excited to celebrate that with him this weekend. But first, we got some basketball to talk about, man. I mean, first of all, I was just telling you right before this, uh, I was watching some uh, Eurobasket today, and there was a pretty big upset that happened today. Uh, Greece falling to Germany, and Franz Wagner with a bad angle, ankle going out there, being a bucket as he always is. This Eurobasket, Jeff, I'm telling you, it's entertaining to watch. Yeah, you mentioned it, man. You had Germany with with uh, Schroeder and Daniel Tice, and you mentioned it, Franz Wagner. So, uh, I mean, th- we talked about this too last podcast and, and how we like to go out and watch, especially Eurobasketball. For people that are are dying to get some NBA, go watch some European basketball because you're still there's still a lot of lot of talent, especially NBA talent that are playing in these games. So it um, is, gr- it hey, is Giannis at thirty. Yeah, it is insane how much Eurobasket has just saved my life for like these past couple of weeks from like the boredom and like the insanity I was feeling. And especially like that final stretch waiting for football to start too. I couldn't think of anything better like for like a palate cleanser. So the the, the interesting thing is gonna be, I think for like the bigger picture of the league, is like a lot of these guys, like you know, like Giannis in particular doesn't get as much of an off season as a lot of these other guys do. And so for these guys in particular, they're playing, they played five games in seven days, five games, European basketball, Europeans do it differently, man. I mean, <laughs> over here, we hate doing back-to-backs in Europe. They're just like it. Let's go do it again different they're they're it's they're built different and and honestly i think it's a good thing for Giannis too because you you win the nba championship the following year you lose chris middleton you get eliminated you go home early and then now you you kind of get to generate this hunger and at least keep getting reps keep playing competitive basketball until next year so if i'm a bucks fan yeah you can look at it like that you know it is a hell it's a lot of basketball but at the same time Giannis for most of his career has been you know majority healthy so um if i'm a bucks fan i'm I'm excited because this man he's still hungry yeah, for sure. Giannis did get ejected from today's game too, by the way. So um, that was something that was interesting. And a guy that is uh, still in it, Luka Doncic in Slovenia, will be taking on Poland on uh, on Wednesday as when this comes out. And uh, we're going to be seeing France take on Italy as well. So there's still a lot of really good talent, a lot of really good teams left in this pool. And as of right now, hard to see who's going to win it. But hey, at the very least, man, we're going to get some good basketball. If you haven't been tuning in yet, you probably should because high quality stuff, absolutely high quality stuff. But Jeff, 
enough about Eurobasket because we got to talk some NBA, baby, because this is from half court for each and every week. Myself, normally two other guys talk all things NBA basketball, but today it's just going to be the dynamic duo. It's Chauncey and Rip in the backcourt. We're going to be taking this one home. So if you like that, be sure you like this video. Be sure you subscribe to the channel. Be sure you hit that mother notification button because I am telling you, you will want to be tuned in on what we have coming up. This uh, this season is going to be awesome. And Jeff, I will tease just one thing. I, You and I both learned something today that both was pretty cool, but also it made my jaw drop. We were talking about it before we went on air. I still can't believe that that's a thing. And uh, I'm excited for what that's going to bring. Yeah, me too. Me too. Let's just say people want to stay tuned because yeah. uh, especially people who support from half court, Wilbur Pistons, big things coming. Yeah, big things exactly. Coming. You're going to be subscribed over to Wilbur Pistons as well because we are doing big, big things. Big each. things. Big things. 100%. Speaking of big things. Some big news dropped in the NBA world today, particularly an egg that we were waiting to drop, so to speak, for a long time now, specifically over a year. The Robert Sarver investigation is complete. And he has been suspended from the NBA for one year from both Mercury and from the Phoenix Suns. They'll be looking for like a temporary, like, you know, operator of the board and, and like the operator and the runner of that team. But Jeff, my first reaction when I saw the findings that came out today, first of all, was not surprised by what we learned in the sense of what Robert Sarver was found doing or was found guilty of doing. But in addition, I was shocked that Robert Sarver is still an owner in the league. What were your thoughts and what were your takeaways from some of the findings? I think deservedly so. I mean, this is it, it's been bound to happen. And I want to say this too. It's not just Robert Sarver. Like if you could think he's the only owner that's doing this stuff and being racist, being um, you know, intolerable, being disrespectful to his employees, like and, and we talk about Tom Gores and and what the good things he does, but just looking around the league. Like Robert Sarver isn't the only guy doing this stuff. So I want to make that clear as well. Like the Absolutely. NBA, and, and it's a great thing that they found these, these findings. And I want to go through them a, uh, a couple of the findings, which they're just sick to read. It, it says, Mr. Sarver, on at least five occasions during his tenure with the Sons of Mercury organization, repeated the N-word when recounting the statements of others. It says, Mr. Sarver engaged in instances in, in inequitable conduct towards female employees made sex-related comments in the workplace, made inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female employees and other women, and on several occasions engaged in inappropriate physical conduct toward male employees. And it says Mr. Sarver engaged in, de in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including yelling and cursing at them. So let's so, break it down, Jeff. Jesus. Let's break it down. Repeating the N-word when recounting statements of others. Doesn't matter. Which... which which saying it at all is is not right and offensive and just straight up shouldn't be accepted in this league. The fact that we see that he was specifically inequitable towards women, made a lot of jokes, made a lot of comments, was terrible to men as well. It's a piece of garbage. 
and treated all of his employees like shit. But Jeff, you know what was the thing that caught me off guard by all of this and amazed me? It was this last sentence down here. The investigation made no finding that Mr. Sarver's workplace misconduct was motivated by racial or gender-based animus. So let me get this straight. The guy who yelled the who who repeatedly said the N-word was sexist to women, was making inappropriate contact with contact with men employees as well. Just kind of and yeah. yet they don't find any motivation of racial or gender-based animinity. Make yep. this make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. And you know, it's funny. It's actually not funny, but it's ironic that the end of that statement is is trying to like justify his thought process behind any of this. Like, I don't give a damn if it was motivated, motivated by any of those things, period. It's racist. It's sexist. It's disrespectful. And, and quite frankly, especially in today's age, everything gets out. Like even across the NFL, you look at guys like John Gruden finding all these emails. Like they, it says, in the, and also the documents, they went through 80,000 documents. Documents, yeah, documents and other materials, including emails, text messages, and videos. Like, that's 80,000. And they found these things. Like, my God, what he was doing that people didn't know about now has come to light. So I'm happy. I think all the players on the Suns are happy, like, to be playing for this guy. Like, to say the N-word and you have African-Americans playing for you, getting your team to the NBA Finals, you're coached by an African-American who's one of the best predominantly black league. league, in a predominantly black sport with a predominantly black team with a black (laughs) front office, black head coach. And there's – and how are you supposed to face them – and have anything. And here's the other piece. Because there's just a lot of layers to this, Jeff. There, We could go a lot of different directions. But I want to start with this tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski. That says, while the NBA says Robert Sarver cooperated fully with the investigative process, sources tell Baxter and me that the Suns owner was unaccepting of the idea that he deserved a one-year suspension and $10 million fine for his behavior. The punitive part of process became largely largely acrimonious. So, Jeff, let's break it down. The guy's a piece of shit. He acts like a piece of shit. He treats people like shit. And then he ultimately doesn't learn anything from it at all. He's only getting fined $10 million, which for a billionaire is is a drop in the bucket. And he ultimately feels that he doesn't deserve any of this punishment. Does this sound like a person that belongs in the NBA? Great point. No, it doesn't. They should give him the Sterling treatment. I mean, to look at Sarver and to see the, especially Wojnarowski report that, that he was unwilling or he was pushing against the punishment. I'll go a step further. That bastard deserves more. Like the guy deserves to be out of the league, like you were saying. Like the guy, screw one year and ten million dollars. He's unfit to be an owner. Like how can this guy? Like we we hit on it already. But how can this guy after a year come back and look his general manager, his head coach, and his players, and even get by them? Like if I'm if I'm if I'm uh, the general manager, if I'm Monty Williams, if I'm uh, Chris Paul or Devin Booker, I don't want nothing to do with Sarver. Like this guy can go kick rocks. So. 
to, to your point, the guy just needs to be out of the league entirely. Like, there's no excuse for this type of behavior, especially in this league. Um, and you'd think – I like Adam Silver. I like the, the how he's doing things. But this is – I mean, this is ridiculous, to say the least. Like, there, yep. this should be much more than one year and $10 million. I'm sorry. That's just the yep. reality of it. He's unfit and, to be an uh, owner. And, Jeff, I just found tweets that made it even worse. Oh, God. And I'm going to warn you that some of this is um, is not um, family-friendly content. Some of this is going to be troubling to hear. And so um, you have been warned. But I think for the sake of the story, for the largest part of the league, I think this is important to share. This is from Ben Golliver, the Washington Post. The NBA's Robert Sarver investigation found that he talked about a sexual act in condoms at all employee meetings, told a blowjob story in a business meeting, told a female employee, you've never seen anything this big while preparing to take a shower at a team facility. The NBA's Robert Sarver investigation also found that he emailed pornography to a small group of male employees, dropped his underwear unnecessarily while a male employee was performing a fitness check on him, danced pelvis to pelvis with male employees at a holiday party. And in addition, asked, asked a female employee if she got an upgrade referring to breast <laughs> augmentation. That is messed up. And told a pregnant employee that she couldn't continue an assignment because her baby needs their mom, not their father. Reading all of that back. He's a he's garbage. <laughs> this, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me eerily of the of of the of the contradictions in the Deshaun Watson case, where it talks about how in the findings he did it. There's no doubt he did it. The evidence suggests he did it. The behavior was awful, but it wasn't considered predatory. But Jeff, the actions of that, of, of what he did in general, were predatory. Just like with this, this isn't motivated by racial or sexual, like sexist behavior. How do you read any of that and go, this man isn't a racist or this man isn't a sexist? And more importantly, how are you expected to think that this guy is going to go through any sensitivity training at a 60 plus year old man and come back acting differently when reports are already telling us, which we already knew would be the case that he doesn't even think he deserves his punishment. And that's what I, comes with billions and billions of dollars. It's power. It's ego. It's the, uh, you know, the thought process of I can't do whatever I do isn't wrong. It's just what I think is right. It doesn't make it right. Like if, if Robert Sarver was any other employee and you had all of those actions that were just listed, like imagine the, the narrative or what people would be talking about as opposed to him being an owner, him being in a position he's in. Like it, it feels like it gives him some sort of power. But in reality, these actions are inexcusable. Like they're it's it, to say that he's done th th what he's done to the females, to males, to, to even African-Americans are saying the N word like this guy is a it, the epitome of garbage. And I don't know. And it's it's I feel bad for the employees because you're in a position where your boss 
is doing these things and you have to provide for your family and you have no choice but to just take it. And that's that's what makes me upset is the, the position those employees were in and the fact that everybody has to work under this man, this piece of shit, that he does all of these things. Yeah. Um, I hope they get him out of the league. There's no reason why. And, and I'm, I'm curious to see what comes out because I know there's more owners doing shit like this. But yeah. I'm curious to see what happens after a year because you're telling me a year from now, all of this, all of his behavior, his actions are just going to go away. Like, we, it is what he is. This is who he is. So regardless if you suspend him for a year or not, he'll always be what he is. This is what he this, I'm sure he's been doing this his entire lifetime. And now he's just got caught. And you know what the maddening thing is, Jeff? The fact that at the end of the day, let's say this guy's kicked out of the league, right? His punishment is to sell the team for an enormous profit from when he bought him to begin with and to get billions of dollars in revenue in his pocket. Like even Robert Sarver, like like or uh, when uh, Donald like, Sterling, uh, yeah, Donald Sterling. Even when he went away, he made a massive profit off right. of his team. And and the thing is, I can't help but feel like if we had any of this on tape, we'd be talking about a Ronald. We we'd be talking about uh, a Robert Sarver ban and not a suspension. And the crazy thing is, when you look at what's being alleged and what's on paper versus what we actually heard. In the in the Donald Sterling tapes, people forget. Like a lot of people are like, "Oh, well, like, we, well, the difference is like Donald Sterling was only heard saying the N word. He didn't say the N word in that clip. He was just talking about how could you associate yourself with a black person, which is absolutely deplorable and not justifying yeah. that at all. Absolutely terrible. And like, not to say like apples to apples comparing anything makes things any better, but like." A lot of this stuff just adds up and seems deplorably worse. Mm -hmm. And And again, like at at exposing yourself to employees, that in itself should be a ban. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've uh, one thing I've always believed: whoever somebody is, when you get money, it just it 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 amplifies exactly. So this, his character, this is, this is who he's been. I think his, what he's, the, the, the rumors coming out of him saying, or the alleged, you know, saying the N word, you think he's just said it in those instances, like this guy has been garbage his entire lifetime. So his his behaviors have always been bypassed because he has money. So the fact that you have, you're in a position where Adam Silver actually is in control in a way for the little to there's very little people who have the power Adam Silver has right now um, within the other owners of, of other NBA teams, as opposed to what who's in Robert Sarver's circle, because he's the guy. There's no one telling him, look him in the face, telling him what to do. But it's up to the NBA. And I just don't agree with a one year, $10 million fine. Like that's that's a slap on the wrist of somebody who's I don't think character wise. Like, I don't think from the public he'll ever be able to bounce back from this. But I don't think character wise, even if he goes to sensitivity training, I don't think he'll ever change. Like yeah. this is something he's not. He can come out with all this bullshit essay on how I've learned. I've I've found new ways. It's only it's what's done in the darkness always comes to the light. And this came to the light. And now, if he wants to backpedal, that's fine. But he'll always be who he is to me. And that's that's a racist, sexist, you know, disrespectful, um, power driven uh, douchebag who I I hopefully gets booted out of the NBA, but deplorable pile of garbage. And I hope he's pressured to sell the team. I hope so. And I hope he goes to some Island and we never hear from him again. And, uh, and the one last thing I'll, I'll, I'll I'll touch on Robert Sarver. I want to give him something that I save for a very select 
special group of people. And that, Jeff, is the double bird salute. Robert Sarver, go fuck yourself. Yeah, you can get, you can get the double. I, yeah, I get 100%. You double. That deserves a double bird salute right yeah. there. You deplorable pile of garbage. My my now, heart goes out to Suns fans. Because if yeah, you have my, to be a fan of a team of that guy in charge, like, man. Yeah, I go, my heart goes out to the fans. My and heart goes out to the players. The Imagine, uh, my heart goes out to the players. But Jeff, my heart goes out to anyone that is an employee of the Phoenix Suns today. That even though you must feel some form of vindication, you must feel heard. You must feel that things are heading in a in a in a better direction. It also must feel helpless knowing that after a year he's going to come back and can possibly do the exact same thing. Even though there's supposedly safety measures that would be put in place, let's be honest, I'm not exactly optimistic. Now, you brought up Adam Silver in this, and I think that's a great point of reference and something to go to. As you you know, the Donald Sterling uh, situation was his first major decision as a as a commissioner, and. I think when we look at the business of the game and I think we look at, you know, socially, you know, where the NBA is involved, I think a lot of times the NBA is rarely in the line of fire, right? However, let's be honest, Jeff, this isn't the first blemish on the Adam Silver report card. We don't even have to go into the whole rigmarole and the, all the political things that come with being as involved with China as the NBA is, but that's there and that's very real. Mm-hmm. And so Jeff, I want to ask you if this indeed holds up, if this, if, 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 if Robert Sarver does indeed come back to the NBA and is not forced to sell the team and he lives, he goes through the suspension and is welcome back to the NBA world. Is this one of the biggest blemishes on Adam Silver's legacy? Because I think we're heading there. Yeah, I, and it's not crazy to say that. And I again, I got to say, too, I feel bad. And I don't know if feel bad is the right word, but I have, you know, I, I give respect to Adam Silver, Roger Goodell, to be a commissioner of a league where you're basically a placeholder. You're the face, but there's still billionaires that also have a say in everything that's going on. Like, that's got to be the most, and I don't I want to use this term lightly, but miserable experience because, yeah, you get the good. But things like this, where ultimately you're going to look bad regardless, like the Donald, the Donald Sterling thing, that's what you know brought Adam Silver, gave him a lot of respect among players, uh, fans around the league. But like you said, there's been other things throughout the years that, yeah, you can say good things about Adam Silver, but this, like this, I thought in, in my mind, this would be another opportunity for Adam Silver to lay his foot down and, and just basically put an exclamation point on the fact that, here, I'm here for the players. I'm here for the people. I'm, I'm here to get rid of scumbags like Robert Sarver. But Again, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it'll – it depends how Robert bounces back from this. Like, if he comes back and he, he he does even worse stuff or more stuff comes out, yeah, I think this can be a blemish on Adam Server's career because, again, like, who else do you look for? Like, he's the guy that has to answer these questions. And if Robert Sarver's saying these things and doing these things and he comes back in a year and he's still the same scumbag, Adam Silver's going to be the guy I'm looking at and pointing yeah. fingers at. But even then, like, this investigation took so long and was so extensive, and the findings were all overwhelming in in what they found. Mm-hmm. And I understand the like the the difficulty that it is to to ban an owner for life from the NBA. Like that is unprecedented territory that we saw. Like that's not just something that can happen every day. So I understand that there might be things that prevent him from doing so. 
But even then, you th- you would think in this type of situation, you try and extend and, and do everything humanly possible to make that happen. So I, I just I do think before we talk about basketball, before we talk about the product, I think it's just important to acknowledge, man, not only is this a big day in the NBA world, right now this is looking like it's a bad day in the NBA world too. And yeah. it's it's just a damn shame, man. It really is because he does not deserve to own that team. No, all. he doesn't. He's un, he's unfit. He's unfit. Now, I bet every person in that building would agree with you and with us. So it's not like the people in Phoenix are saying, yeah, we banned him for a year. Find him $10 million. Like, this is from the top. Like, this is Adam Silver in the NBA giving him this thing. Like, no one else. I bet not even just us. Everybody probably has the same reaction as us. So um, it's – I would say, yeah, it's sad to see. Disappointing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now – Jeff, obviously, you and I, we talk all things NBA. We talk all things Pistons as well. I do want to get into some Pistons stuff in a minute. However, another thing that happened today in the NBA world, let's get a little bit of a lighter note because I was pretty heavy. For you know, normally we don't get into that type of stuff here, uh, and we don't really like to. However, when it when it does come up, we have we oh, got to yeah. talk about. Got to right? be addressed. One hundred percent. So, um, another thing that has to be addressed, and another big news story, is that. Russell Westbrook in the latest saga of of the Russell Westbrook story, according to uh, the Wall Street Journal real estate section, Russell Westbrook has listed its twenty nine million dollar home in L.A. Now, I want to start with Jeff. Holy twenty nine million dollars. That's, That's where I, my mind a, went too. <laughs> That's gotta be a nice house, but yeah. I mean, let's 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 talk about what this could be, because obviously you look at a lot of people like posting their uh, their uh, property, and that can mean a, a variety of different things. However, uh, the the properties, uh, the the property manager, they tried to reach out, and they they declined to comment. They re- they reached out to to Russell Westbrook himself, and his people declined to comment as well. So Jeff, first of all, I'm looking at the house right now. Um, and I'll I'll share really quickly what a picture of the outside looks like. Ooh, this is uh. This this a this a pretty legit house, man. I mean, he's got a he's got a crib. But let's talk about what this could mean really quickly, because a lot of us might instant instantly go, Russell Westbrook might be getting traded. And I know that's what the Lakers want to do. But Jeff, is that even practical? Like like are they even in a situation where they they have the luxury to trade Russell Westbrook right now? I think the easiest thing for things for fans to say is trade them. Okay. Uh, trade them where would be my response. Who's it takes two to tango. You can't just say trade Russell Westbrook and I have a destination for him. And, yeah, and who honestly, wants this $40 million contract right now? Yeah. And, and honestly, the teams that do have cap space are rebuilding. So why would you want to take on Russell Westbrook unless you're getting assets? Like unless you're, you know, San Antonio or one of these teams that you're like, all right, we'll take Russell, but we also want, you know, X, Y, and Z. You're not taking Russell on to take him on. So yeah. uh, I just think this is, it could be two things. One, 
Russell's from Long Beach. He's from L.A., the L.A. area. So this could be a lot of things. It could be also staying ready so you don't have to get ready. You have your house already sold. Like, who right. knows? Because a lot of players, let's be honest, like you might – players might, you know, like Bradley Beal, for example, he might play for Washington, but he may not live in Washington in right. the uh, in the offseason. You get what I'm saying? So I'm not yeah. too concerned with Russell Westbrook. As a Lakers fan, you're jumping up and down depending on if you like Russell or you don't. So um, for me, for Russell, I, I think – the the reality that the Lakers are dealing with right now is they want to trade Russell Westbrook. It's so awkward in LA. Like honestly it is because they yeah. want to trade Russell. He doesn't really want to be there, but they also can't trade Russell and, and LeBron well, and well, they uh, can, but the problem is you're going to have to give up that 2027 pick and that 2029 pick. And I wouldn't do it because why, why give up Russell? Okay. Let, let, Cause I have to answer this way. If you're trading Russell, what are you getting in return? Let's say you're getting little to nothing. Okay. You're going to give up Russell Westbrook and replace him with who? Like right. I get Russell Westbrook. You say what you want about him. I get it. I'm with you. If you want to criticize Russell, but you can't doubt that if you just take Russell off this team, people assume in their mind, this team just gets this much better, that much better. Like that's just not the case. The Lakers just don't have that much talent. So I'm curious to see what the Lakers do. I really am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and listen, I'm sure Russell Westbrook wants a fresh start. And I'm sure he would love to be on a new NBA team. But Jeff, after watching this past season, who's gonna wanna who's gonna wanna have Russell Westbrook in their locker room? And it's not just the numbers, too. It's the it's the inability to cooperate it's the not being coachable like there's other things that go with russell westbrook that make him not you don't want to trade for him it's actually people look at the numbers and yeah they weren't that great uh well actually the numbers were pretty great but the turnovers weren't great the efficiency wasn't great but it's also off the court like it's the stuff that you're gonna have to get with russell with his personality as well even then though the numbers like even even though like they might be like like some of his numbers might be pretty decent for a lot of guards throughout the league for him, there were a pretty steep drop off in a lot of his numbers, especially if you're looking at efficiency, if you're looking at what he's oh, yeah. doing. Like, this dude is genuinely the worst shooter in the league. Yeah, three point. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, yeah. That's a great point to bring up. He's one of the worst statistically in the league. If not, in terms of attempts, he might be the worst. I would call him the worst. Yeah. He has the he, worst form in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I would take Killian Hayes as a perimeter shooter over Russell Westbrook every day of the week. Yeah, I would probably agree with you. I mean, who do you trust more to hit an open shot? God, like, I hope neither. But like that. <laughs> no, yeah, neither. But but Jeff, like the, again, it's like for Russ, this is really his last chance in the league. Which for yeah. someone that two years ago was a number one, number two option on the Washington Wizards, someone that like. You know, people were like, oh, Russ carried them to that play and run. A oh, great thing on his resume. I think this is just something that's been building up for a while. And it's sad because it is so reminiscent to the Allen Iverson ending of, of not accepting the new role. It almost feels like Carmelo's ending before he actually changed his men- mentality and changed his approach. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's funny and ironic about that. Carmelo went to play with Russell and OKC, and he had to accept uh, a role that, he, that that didn't even work out for him. So, I, you know what? I think it all started with Russell when he had that MVP season and he and he was able to – he had the green light for absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, I was – that season actually was – 
surprised and I had to give Russell credit because what he did with that team, like I get people want to bring up, oh, he just stat padded. Like that roster he took to the playoffs as like what a fourth, fifth seed was way worse than you would have projected before. So I got to give him credit that season. It's been downhill and it, we haven't, he hasn't been able to get back uphill and and ever since then. So um, yeah, it's, it's a mindset for him. But Jeff, here's the other thing. Russell Westbrook is great at getting triple doubles and, and in his, at his peak, he was the king of it. But Jeff, it almost felt like some nights, it almost felt like guys were getting out of the way so that Russ could get his triple double. It almost felt like at times the team's objective was Russ's success mm-hmm. and not necessarily the group's success. And so even though like those seasons were impressive and and nothing should be taken away from the fact that it takes a special player and a special type of player to ach- to make that achievement. I would say the team was kind of helping them stat pad a little bit, man. I'm sorry, but like, no, like, yeah, like yeah. Stephen Adams Steven would get Adams out of the way on some rebounds. Like, you yep. know what I mean? Like, there's just if if your teammates are getting out of the way consistently, just so you're getting a rebound so that you can average a triple double. That means that you're not focused primarily on winning games. You're just not. And, and honestly, if you look at even t- in today's game, the two best in our era in the last, if you want to say 10 years at getting triple doubles are the two guys that you could say have just not aged well. And that's James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Like those, because people forget, you talk about triple doubles, but to get them, you have to have the ball in your hands most, if not all of the time. And, and for a lot of NBA teams, it's just, that is just not how it works. Like right. for a lot but of teams, difference. it's just not how it works. Only LeBron can get away with it because he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. But the difference is, is James Harden is one of the most lethal perimeter scorers we've ever seen in the league. That's the difference. And Russell Westbrook is one of the most ancient players we've seen in the league. And so, and the other thing, even with James Harden, like, you know, I, 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 seeing how he's looked this summer and, you know, seeing how he can recover from that injury, I feel like for him, there's like a chance that he can like, you know, like he won't be like the, the same athlete he was in Houston, but it looks like he can be like 90% of that. And if he's 90% James Harden, that's still one of the best players in the league. 90, I think it's clicked for him too. 90% Russell Westbrook might not even be in the league. And that's where we're at. Well, I, and listen, with, with James, I think the difference is, too, is he was able to accept his role, like even in Philly. Like the, the fact that he had to accept the reality is you're probably the third, sometimes on some nights, the third option behind Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. And he's, he seemed, you saw it in Philly, he kind of accepted it because that was James's biggest thing, especially postseason, is where does he go? He disappears. Um, but at least he's accepted that. It seems like Russell – for this entire time, it's like it's like the it reminds me of P. Bev. It's like when they asked P. Bev, "Oh, you're gonna play with LeBron and AD?" He's like, "No, they're going to play with me." Like that's how I felt like Russell <laughs> was coming to the Lakers, but mm-hmm. with P. Bev, he knows his role. Like that's the difference. Like Russell yep. talked that way, but he knows where he's gonna fit in. Russell, I think, just goes out and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna be myself," and everyone just kind of fit in around me. Like that's just right. that's not how it works. It's well, not how it, works. and even now too, like you know, Darvin Ham, you know, he's he's been beating the drum of Russ is going to be great. He's going to be a huge part of what we're doing. You know, Pat Bev and him acting like their buddy, buddy and smiling in front of the cameras and laughing and 
and and joking around with each other. Listen, man, like at the end of the day, even with them laughing and joking and all that stuff, you could cut the tension with a knife. Those guys have hated each other since the beginning of their careers. So any conversation of these guys all of a sudden working out well together, it's just not going to happen. It's just not. Because Russ, Russ couldn't even make it work with the guys he wanted to make it work with. Mm-hmm. Now him and James Harden, him. him and James Harden, yeah. Well, even even him and LeBron, him and, and Anthony LeBron. Davis, him mm-hmm. and Anthony Davis was supposed, you know, just because. Again, I I, I just keep wanna, you know, not to keep taking my victory lap on this, but I did call this literally from when the trade happened. I said this was going to be a nightmare. I said Russell Westbrook wasn't going to be an effective fit on this roster. I said that it wasn't going to lead to them win- like winning a championship or all these lofty expectations that people had. And even then, we were told that Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis was supposed to be this lethal pick and roll combination. And all this last year, you know, some of the ex- excuses, oh, if we were just healthy, if we were just healthy. When they were on the court together, Jeff, you know what they were? Mid. M I D mid. And that's just the truth. And that's the absolute truth. Like watching the Lakers last season, I'll never forget. I fell for the bait. Cause I, and, and this is the reason why too. And this is the reason why I looking back, it's like hindsight's 2020 always, but seeing Russ, usually someone's resume doesn't lie. You look at the resume, look at Russ's resume. He was traded to, to Houston. Then he was traded again. And then after that, Washington didn't want him. And then he goes to the LA. Like there's a reason why, like if you're, if you're a great player and you're, you're, you make an impact on winning organizations, aren't going to kick you out the door. Like that's what I always look at. And, and for Russell to be on his third team in three years, uh, when he first got to the Lakers, like that was, there was already tons of red flags, but again, LA, the city of stars, you want names, you get Russell Westbrook and it comes back to bite him in the ass. So hopefully going forward, they understand now, now it's, it's not, all, this isn't 2k. You get all the, the talent on one team. It's about chemistry. It's about fit. And Russell was the reality was he was never a fit because I mm-hmm. get the mindset. You want more ball handlers beside LeBron James, but you need a guy who's also willing to play his role and when to, to be Russ and when not to be Russ. It seemed like Russ just had the green light on at all times. The Los Angeles Lakers literally had a championship roster and they could have kept that group together. But after they won the championship, what did the Lakers do? They fixed what wasn't broken. They went and got Marcus Gasol. They went and got Dennis Schroeder. They went and completely changed the composition of their lineup. They got rid of key figures like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, like yep. Kyle Kuzma, like Alex Caruso. How many different players that were the heart and soul of that championship team and were the anchor of a lot of their success? And also were players that were meant to play around LeBron. Great because, fit. Jeff, we've seen what works around LeBron James. You need shooters, you need defenders, and you need guys who can play without the ball in their hands. And what is Russell Westbrook? He can't shoot. He looks lost when the ball isn't in his hands. He doesn't particularly look inspired on the defensive end. In fact, a lot of times had to be benched by Frank Vogel because of his effort. And when critiqued or asked about it by media, acted like a child. 
But now this year's supposed to, it's supposed to turn around. We're going to make it work this yeah. time. <laughs> it, it, uh, out of here. And you could see that everybody and their mother knew that. I mean, uh, to, to see, and you look at what, who, what has worked around LeBron, just go back to Cleveland, go back to Miami, go back to the teams that were built around him. You had Kyrie Irving, a guy like you described, fit everything you just said. Kevin Love can do everything you just said. So again, and, and credit to Kevin Love, by the way, because talk about, talk about fitting in a role and talk about knowing his role. That's Kevin Love. So Russell Westbrook, I, I, the only thing positive I saw out of this trade and the shooting I knew would be an issue. They never really addressed the shooting, so it didn't help them. But the, the, having another guy who can handle the ball, I get that. You had Kyrie Irving, but what's the difference between him and Kyrie? Kyrie can play off ball, and he can be a two-guard. Like, Russell Kyrie, is never going to be your Kyrie can shoot the damn ball. <laughs> Russell's never playing that uh, sit in the corner and, and shoot threes. He's not doing it. And even if he – because the times where Russell has the ball, he'll, he, okay, you have Russell, he's explosive, all that. But when LeBron has the ball, it's a terrible fit. Like the guy contributes nowhere, and he doesn't even have enough effort to cut back door and try and get easy buckets. So, again, you need shooting. So they have to address it. And if he gets traded, like Patrick Beverly is the perfect, like I don't know if he'll start, but a perfect piece around LeBron. That's a guy that you want. But Russell, that's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. And ultimately, time will tell. You know, the, the, the Lakers seemingly could. Make a move in theory any day now if they decided to. And, you know, ultimately, Russ listening his house could mean nothing about his basketball future. As you said, guys could live anywhere in the country. And like you even said, like guys on the Wizards, that doesn't mean they're living in Washington. (laughs) But Jeff, here's what I'll retort. Where are a lot of those guys on the Wizards probably living? Yeah, in L.A. Because the vast majority of NBA players live in LA and Russ is from LA. So he could in theory be looking to downgrade and get a different house in Los Angeles. He could be in theory looking oh, to upgrade. He, I don't freaking know. Upgrading. I don't know how you're going to upgrade over a $29 million hey, house. But, sir, that, that 40 million a year he'll, it, this year, this year's paycheck will cover that house. That oh yeah. House. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, literally just one year of basketball cover a $29 million. That's <laughs> pretty damn good life. But that's all right. Hey, hey, you know, whatever, whatever happens with Russ, it's all in his hands and it always has been, but I don't, I don't exactly see his game changing around. So don't be surprised if this is his last season in the NBA, not even if it's not entirely his decision. This episode of from half court is brought to you by Manscaped. When we talk about post players, there is few better players in the restricted area than our friends over at Manscaped. With great products such as the Lawnmower 4.0 with skin safe technology, the Weed Whacker, their deodorants, lotions, and more, Manscaped is unrivaled when it comes to the men's hygiene game. Serving over 8 million balls worldwide. That's a lot of testicles, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're finding yourself in need of Manscaped products, be sure to go to manscaped.com and use code HALFCORE at checkout because that can get you 20% off plus free shipping. Our friends at Manscaped sent us these products, and I can tell you that they are absolutely for real. I have been absolutely satisfied and in love with their entire product line, from boxers, t-shirts, the lawnmower 4.0, to the to the weed whacker, ear and nose trimmer. You can really not go wrong. Be sure to go to manscaped.com and use code HALFCORD at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Thank you again to our friends at Manscaped for sponsoring this video. Another thing. 
uh, I do want to talk about real quick. I, I want to get into some more NBA stories because Jeff, there's a lot that's happened this last Maybe week. Season, there's, even, dude, there's even some stories that like I almost forgot about that like we need to touch on before this pod ends. But we got to talk Pistons every episode, right? We got to we like that's a it's a core of what we do. It's a team that you and I both cover. It's a team that you and I are both fans of. But it's that season where we're still waiting for things to talk about. Obviously, when Troy, if when Troy was here, like he was, like he was meant to be, we would be talking a little bit more about players that we could see as breakout stars. You can go check our video to get our full thoughts about that for Jeff and I. But I, one thing I do want to touch on, and something that I think we haven't talked about in a while, Dwayne Casey going into another season at the helm of the Pistons. Another opportunity to develop guys like Jaden Ivey to continue to work with guys like Kate Cunningham, guys like Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Ashton even texted me today and put one of the things he said is that he wants to come on the on the uh, Woodward Pistons table talk soon and brag about the coaching staff and brag about the front office because of the exceptional work that they're doing. But with that, Jeff, it almost seems like Dwayne Casey's kind of slipped into the background a little bit. He seems like he's not exactly as much of a prominent talking point in the Pistons community. And I think it's time that we kind of start asking, what's a successful season for Dwayne Casey this season? What should be the expectation? Because as we know, it's not in ju- it's not it's still not entirely being judged on wins and losses, but mm-hmm. Jeff, isn't this one of the first years in a little bit that it might need to be a little bit about wins and losses? Yeah, I mean, and I'll start by saying most teams, like if you have a, a head coach and you have a team primed and ready to, to at least make noise in, in the West or in the East, then yeah, it's going to be judged on wins and losses. But with with Dwayne, to your point, it is going to be judged, you know, it, it, slightly on wins and losses. You can't win less games. You can't win, you know, the equal yeah. of last year's game total. You got to get better. Yeah. Uh, improvement, no question. But if he takes his team from 23 wins to – 30 wins and the players got better. See, that's the key. The players are getting better. Then that's still a good thing. Like if you look right. at the Warriors with Mark Jackson, like, yeah, you got Steve Kerr and he took them up an entirely another level, but Mark was key in developing those guys. So he laid again, the groundwork. He laid exactly. He laid the groundwork. I think Dwayne Casey set up to do that same thing here in Detroit. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this and I've been saying this too, because I see more and more people talking about it. Like Dwayne, I really hope gets a job post-coaching career with the Detroit Pistons. I don't think it's a thing of, you know, after a year or two from now, you'll fire Dwayne. No, 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 no. This is a guy you want to keep around because he's a hell of a guy, uh, a guy who can develop talent. You saw what he did with with Toronto and that young Raptors team where he took them to where Nick Nurse took them with Kawhi. Like, I just think he gets the, the, uh, you know, the barrel, the bottom of the barrel with that because I think Dwayne as a human, He's a great human. Players love him. Uh, Troy loves him. It's funny because when you bring in a new general manager, usually you want your own head coach. That's usually how it is. Like, eh, we'll see how this guy is, but usually I want my guy. This is his guy for right now. So I think that speaks a lot to Dwayne as a coach, as a teacher, as a person. And uh, I wouldn't want anybody else coaching this team right now. Key right now to develop these guys. So um, this season, they got to get better uh, in the wins and loss category. I mean, I'd like to see, I have, I have them at 33. Uh, What do you have them at 34? Yeah, I have have about 33, 34. That's where I'm at as well. If they can get to around that number and everyone's getting better, that's a successful season to me. Yeah, absolutely. And even then, I think it's very, I think 
funny enough, we look at, you know, we look at other teams in Detroit and we could, we compare and contrast where they're at and what situation that we're in. And one of the things that, that you've guys talked about a lot on the morning show, specifically with the lions is, you know, a lot of this season, obviously you want to see more wins in the win column, but it's about establishing your identity. Right. And for the Pistons, I would say that is exactly the goal for this season. I think, you know, we've talked a little bit before about what it would look like or what the season would have to be in order for the Pistons to make a blockbuster move. I think the other thing is what, what does it take for the Pistons to take the next step? It means taking the next step. And that next step is we saw the beginnings of an identity being formed this past season, but now it's time that that vision be realized. It's time that it's shown in the court. And I think there has to be key games, key moments and things from each player Guys like Jaden Ivey, guys like Jalen Duran, guys like Isaiah Stewart, guys like Cade. I think there needs to be moments where most of these guys in this roster, we see the growth. We see the improvement, right? Like there has to be markers and things within the development of these players. And, and that honus is on Dwayne Casey. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's on the players too. Like they're going to have to be the ones to get better. Like if right. Killian flames out and isn't the player that we expected, it's not going to be from a lack of Dwayne Casey giving him the opportunity. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's getting, like you said, it's on the players. That's probably number one, get to get better. But like you said, too, is is it's on Dwayne for the regular season, on the court, the, the chemistry these guys are building, to be able to play together, to find the right roles for each of these guys. That's what his job is. Like, I regardless, and, and it's funny because you talk about his player development. I actually love his a coaching development. I think he has a lot of good assistants under him. And yeah. I think he kind of, he's very self-aware. I think he knows this as well. Like I'm getting older. He's just, what is he? The second oldest coach in the NBA behind Greg Popovich. Yep. So again, like this is a guy who's very self-aware and he understands like my job right now is we're not going to win a championship this year or, or next year. Like this is the, the team. Like you just said, this is the time for this team to get better. Players get better. Um, if you could see progress, I think even Dwayne, like despite having the last couple of seasons have been 21 seasons, but look at what he's, what he's been given. You can't grocery shop for somebody and get them nothing and expect him to cook a, a gourmet meal. Like you have to wait and see how these people, how these guys pan out because you never know. Dwayne might be winning games for this team next year or the year after if he's still coaching. So I don't want to say, you know, people love to, to and this is the funny thing about this business is people love to, you know, overreact to things and, and pull grab for people's jobs. Like get oh, Dwayne out of here. Yeah. There's it felt no like tankers. people are already calling for Dan Campbell's job after week one. See, I'm like, guys, literally over an onside kick. Let's calm the. <laughs> And that that's the thing so with Dwayne it's like guys if if who would you want in this position like honestly like literally that, nobody Jeff no, no one in the league for me no like, and I, I'm right with you Sean like even guys like even guys like Kenny Atkinson like like that's a, that's a name that people bring up a lot I don't really know if I'd want the guy that just turned down the Charlotte job and also the guy that like even though there was some things getting better in Brooklyn wasn't exactly as proven of a commodity as Dwayne Casey in the player development world and, and even then, Detroit too, like Dwayne Casey. Like I just feel like Dwayne embraces the city. Like he's he's loved by everybody. Like right, and that's the other the thing. The, and that's the other thing. You would only remove a a coach from this current situation if there was either regression, if there was turmoil within the locker room. Right. But the big thing is that for this team, they still respect Dwayne Casey. They admire Dwayne Casey. Hamad Diallo, perfect one. 
Exactly. We you, saw him have that interaction and that altercation with Dwayne Casey on the bench this last year. A lot of people are like, oh, Dwayne's losing control of the <laughs> yeah. team. He's, yeah. he, the locker room's turning against him. But yeah. in reality, it was a learning moment because guess what? Hamadou Diallo, it ain't about you, fam. Yeah. And that's what he had to learn. After that too. Dude, it was I, – I just tell you, man, this past season – especially in January and February, I just had to bite my tongue like all hell because all I heard from people within our network, people on Twitter, people across social media is that this team's falling apart and it's Dwayne Casey's fault. And then all of a sudden, the second half of the season happens and all of a sudden, a lot of guys like Cade Cunningham are getting the credit. And all of a sudden, we forgot Dwayne Casey's the head coach of the damn team. Conveniently. So, all these people that were dancing on Dwayne Casey's grave and, and on everything that's going on, he's still here, mother. And quite frankly, his job looks more secure than ever. So anyone that thinks this man can't coach, kiss my ass. Kiss it. Kiss it. Pucker it, but pucker <laughs> up, baby. And I'm glad you brought up the post-All-Star break. Yeah, the Pistons went almost 500. They had a pretty good post-All-Star break. They, they want to bring up Cade, in which, honestly, you deservedly so. But it, it's a great point because during that stretch, I never heard Dwayne Casey. Like, I, I'm honestly trying to remember. Like, I didn't hear anybody give him credit for how they played in the second half of the season. And that and was you know with Jeremy. That stretch started, by the way, Jeff? I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, you're good. It started with a team meeting led by, guess who? Dwayne Casey. Preach. And guess what he did? He talked to his players. He took their feedback. They, they discussed as a team how they wanted to play better and get better across that season. And, Jeff, when did you see the improvement from that conversation? literally the next game when they faced the Boston Celtics. And from that point on, we're a different team than the team that started the season. But we just like to ignore that, don't we? Yeah. If it doesn't fit their narrative, they won't Mm -hmm. talk about it. So again, like I'm really excited, honestly, for this season for a lot of reasons, but one of them being, I I, I, I want to see Dwayne with a team that's getting better, number one, because I know he's going to help these guys get better. But I want Dwayne to have as much talent as possible because he deserves it. Like, I, I want this team to get better and better quicker so we can see if Dwayne can at least win some games. Now, I'm not saying he'll be the guy to take you to the championship because I don't think he'll be coaching by then. But like Mark Jackson, why can't Dwayne take you to the playoffs or take you to a play-in? Like, I still think he's capable of doing that, but you got to give him the talent. That's number one, because look what he walked into. Andre Drummond, you get Blake Griffin. Like, that roster was never going to do anything. And, he was and, riding the last legs of Blake Griffin's last. knee. Like, he last. was literally riding that baby to the playoffs because that was our only shot. That was it. So I'm and, excited. He deserves a superstar, a, a future superstar like Cade Cunningham. And, and we'll yes, see what Jay Ivey becomes. But I'm 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 happy for Dwayne, man. He's he has that is like if you get to if, if you want to go through this season and we're you know uh we're talking about issues we're gonna have or things we think will arise. Dwayne is like the last thing I bring. He's up. Like he's I, the calming presence. He is he's the stability. 
He is. And if people want to bring up, oh, his rotations, oh, his schemes, like, guys, guys, that's not what Dwayne's here for. Like, this, and I get it, if you want to base it off what happens in the game, look at the players getting better and who got better after the All-Star break. Yeah, let's talk that that rotation criticism for a second because you can can rotate some turds around all you want. (laughs) They're still turds. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it, you, it, we talked about it in our video. The best big man they had, they didn't even have till Marvin Bagley. They never had it. They had yeah. a, a they true had big Trey man. Trey Lyles guarding yeah. bigs, yeah, on a consistent basis. They couldn't. This team fell apart when it couldn't have Kelly Olynyk on the court, <laughs> and that's his fault. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess, I guess, and I guess so. a rookie struggling in his first games and, and, and having turnover issues. I guess that's the coach's fault too, because they're the one out there making the passes, right? But that's okay. You don't know why? Because at the end of the day, I can, because not only can I, can I know for a fact that not only is my opinion objectively correct, but it's backed by facts too, because the Pistons after the all-star break were better than the bulls. They were better than the Lakers and they were better than you guessed it. The Cavs. So Look at that graphic, by the way, yeah, that whoever made that 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 right. guy deserves a raise, even though he right. won't be getting one. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Naraja. That kid is amazing. But He's the goat, man. Yeah, he is the goat, 100. I yeah, I don't pay him enough. I but that will change. <laughs> um, hey, he's getting paid. That's that yeah. thing. Be grateful, damn it. No, I'm kidding. We love Naraja. <laughs> but let's uh, let's move on because I feel like that's a topic that. You know, I, I, we definitely are going to dive in more and more. That's something we'll definitely be circling back to. Just two more quick things before we end this episode. First of all, there was this interview with Stephen Curry over over the course of, of the past week, specifically a cover story with the Rolling Stone. And it was a part of their cover story. It's a great and piece, by the way. I read it. Great, great piece. piece. Great piece. And... It's talking about, you know, like Steph's, you know, like how Steph wants to make an impact socially, how he wants to work towards, you know, like helping people in America, doing more of that. But in addition, I also got to talk a little bit of basketball if you're going to do a story as well. And Steph Curry, according to this conversation, was, quote, never hesitant in endorsing the idea of reunion with Kevin Durant. Quote. The idea of playing with KD and knowing who he is as a person from our history in those three years, I think KD's a really good dude. I think he's misunderstood. I think he has had certain things happen in his life that hurt his ability to trust people around him and sense of making him feel safe at all times. So all of those things I understand, having played with him and gotten to know him, I love that dude. Now, another thing he went on to say as well, and if you said, oh, KD's coming back and we're going to play with him, I had so much fun playing with him those three years. I'd be like, hell yeah, Curry told the magazine. And you have to think, what does that actually mean? What does it look like? And so that's the thing, Jeff. When, when talking about this trade, Steph Curry would have made that sacrifice again to play with Kevin Durant, to not be the number one guy on his team. If Mm -hmm. that was the direction that would mean championships and winning for the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry would have done it. 
And I don't know about you, but after this article, I mean, it just it just further cements the legacy of Steph Curry and mm-hmm. how he might be the greatest team, like one of the greatest team athletes in the history of pro sports. He might be the best teammate in history of pro sports. I'm, I'm going that far. I think he's the best um, in, in terms of, I guess you could say, the most unselfish superstar ever in the oh, NBA. Yeah. The oh, most yeah. unselfish. And, and I want to say this, too, because I, I think Kevin Durant, leaving Golden State, I don't think had nothing to do. People want to make this. Talk about the media, too. Like They want to make this Draymond and, and KD beef something that it really wasn't. Um, I, I think the reason why he left Golden State, it had nothing to do with Golden State. I think it had everything to do with KD and his feelings towards his own narrative that can KD win a championship without these guys. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what ultimately pushed him to go team up with Kyrie. So Steph saying this, I'm not surprised. Like I think they would have all loved Kevin Durant back because you saw in those finals too, Kevin Durant was that dude. Like he was well, the best player on that team. So give credit to Steph, man. Steph's the greatest. Yeah. Well, and this well, the story even shows that though, right? Like, just shows like even not only like like what Kevin had to deal with, some of the things that he went through. Um, you know, like Kevin Durant has, you know, it's it's pretty well documented that he's had a pretty, you know, he had a pretty rough upbringing, pretty difficult childhood. Is that has had to go through a lot of things as a person, and so right. you know, looking at when that move was made from day one, people were calling him like it was calling it the weakest move ever made by a superstar people were saying that you could win as many championships as you want but it wasn't going to matter because people were ultimately going to hold you on on the pedestal and under the microscope of being the person to make that move right but with steph curry it shows that he could be on the most hated team in america he could have he could have anyone saying whatever narrative they want but the truth is, Steph, care, Steph Curry cares about winning. He cares about the guys around him. And he cares about what's best for the team. Mm-hmm. And that shows because even when you're looking at this trade, but like you're looking at, all right, what does it take? You know, he's like, yeah, I would endorse having Kevin Durant. But at the same time, I'm sure he's looking at the team that he has right now and the roster of guys around him, and not just because he's the number one guy, but because of how much talent they have and how much it would take to give up, I think he's looking at it and saying, okay, if it was practical, hell yes, let's do it. But at the same time, couldn't we just run it back with what we have right now? And at the end of the day, the decision's not being based on anything personal. It's being based on winning basketball games. And that's who Steph Curry is, man. He's a basketball player Mm -hmm. at his core. He loves the game. You can tell. I mean, he loves to have fun. And I think that equates back to winning because you're not having fun if you're not winning. So yeah. uh, with, with Steph Curry, like you talk about him this year becoming getting that first finals MVP, like talk about a weight off your shoulders like that. There you go. Like now he can be like, all right, you know what? I proved myself. Why not run it Even back? Then, the thing that makes Steph so special is that to us into the common narrative, like we would all be like, yeah, there's the weight off his shoulders. He doesn't have to prove anything left to anybody. But the truth is, Steph Curry, that doesn't change who he is as a person. It doesn't change how he defines him. Because at the no. end of the day, he doesn't give a damn what I say, what you say, what 
anybody out of the Golden State Warriors say. And that's part of just what makes him such a special person, but such an all-time great athlete, yeah. because how else has an undersized, un, like, you know, not the fastest, not the out strongest. Of exactly, out of Davidson. How else would he have made it to this spot? And and I, my favorite thing, and, and it's not even just me, I think everybody who's an NBA fan was smiling when, when they won the championship. Steph started crying immediately. And, and the one thing he kept repeating is, what, what, what are you going to say now? What are you going to say now? Like what? Yeah. And I love that because Steph, as a guy who doesn't really talk, like the fact that he feels that way. And like you said, I truly believe he does not care what anybody has to say. But the fact that he went out and did it regardless, like it all goes back to his love for winning. I mean, winning yep. that championship, you would have never thought the Warriors won before that. Like how yep. emotional and how much it meant to them. But again, it's like, all right, we won, but can we get another? Like that's yeah. that's the mentality I absolutely love. Like even if you hate Golden State for how good they were, you can at least respect them and respect the organization because they've done a hell of a job. Yeah, but Jeff, who had that team? with Clay coming back from injury in the middle of the season, not only contending, but winning a title. Nobody. Nobody. The wonders were, could they get back to the playoffs this year? Mm -hmm. Could they win a playoff series? Not the whole damn shebang. Especially against Memphis. They had that game where they lost by 50. Yeah. And sitting there going, wow. Uh, okay. And, and even they before acted that, like nothing happened the next game. <laughs> yeah, and then you rewind even to the past the All-Star break. We did a podcast. We talked about Clay, And I remember bringing Clay up because I'm like, I, I remember I was like, I can't wait till Clay gets back. That's somebody I'm excited to see. And the question we all asked was, what Clay are we getting? And then boom, fast forward, they win the NBA championship. It's like, all right. Uh, cra- what, what were we even talking about at that yeah. point? So, And the crazy thing, Jeff? Was that the answer was they didn't get a full clay back. They got like a, I'd say about 75%, 80% yeah. clay. And they got a pretty damn good Andrew Wiggins in the finals. I'll tell you that. They, they got a freaking awesome Andrew Wiggins. They got a stellar Jordan Poole. In this yeah. season, they're going to have a healthy clay Thompson back who could actually work on his game this past offseason. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm feeling pretty damn good about what they have going on, too. Now, would this team still have been pretty damn competitive if they had Kevin Durant? Would that have been enticing to watch the reunion of that? Absolutely. But again, here like we knew that they were that it was being considered. This shows how seriously it was being considered. Mm-hmm. And again, that just speaks to the greatness of the Golden State Warriors, the greatness of Steph Curry, and in my opinion, the best franchise the NBA seen in the past 20 years. Yeah. No, I'm right with you there. They're, they're up there in terms of the best franchises, yeah. especially it's, how it's, they run. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be, I mean, champions, championships, you know, winning as top to bottom. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be them. GM, yeah, like, yeah. You're putting, you're putting them, you're putting the Spurs. Yep. Maybe like you, you probably put Miami in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it's everybody else. Like even though Lake, even though the Lakers have won a few titles in the last 20 years, it's not like they've been a good franchise or like, no. or like, or like a competent franchise over the past decade. Thank Kobe, especially yeah. in 2010, like that era. Yeah, Kobe and Pau Gasol. But before that, Kobe yeah. and Shaq. But and yeah. because of the owners, I'll tell you that. Yeah, real quick too. Bus. Real quick too. Steph Curry also uh, potentially will be up for a lifetime endorsement deal with with Under Armour that could be exceeding one billion dollars. So 
for a guy that sacrificed a lot at the beginning of his career. At one point when he was playing MVP level, had like the, the sixth highest contract on the Golden State Warriors at that time. Now is getting everything he deserves. And at the end of the day, wasn't in it for the money. Wasn't in it for that business. But he's getting it anyway because of the work ethic and everything he put in. So all the credit in the world to Steph, man. All the credit in the world. We are a very pro Steph pod. Yeah, no Steph slander. No, none. We ain't, take, we ain't taking any of it. No Cade slander, no Pistons, uh, depending on what topic it is, Pistons slander, but definitely no Steph slander, all right? Keep, keep yep. that off of it. So the last thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up this podcast was Danny Ainge at a press conference this week, and he was pretty damn honest on why <laughs> on why the Utah Jazz went went the route they did. Did you see anything about this, Jeff? No, I didn't. Enlighten me. oh Oh, man all right so um it started with this from danny ainge quote what i saw during the season was a group of players that really didn't believe in each other like the whole group i think they liked each other even more than what was reported but i'm not sure there was a belief he goes on to say when we got to the playoffs i thought well this is a team that has had some disappointing playoffs So I thought maybe they're just waiting for the playoffs. I gave them that benefit of the doubt, but it was clear the team didn't perform well in the playoffs again. I believe every one of these guys went into every game believing they were going to win. Don't get me wrong on that. I'm just saying when adversity hit, the resolve, you could see in a team that has true belief in having each other's back or one another. Each other's back or one another. Now, Jeff... That is pretty damn honest. That's a guy who knows how to win. I'll it's tell a guy. You it, well, it's a guy who knows how to win. But Jeff, if you're general manager, if you're head of basketball ops, is saying this about the roster that you had on the court this last year. First of all, it's not surprising, as far as I think. No, this that's was what, the narrative. <laughs> no, this this was what we saw too, right? Yeah. yeah. But in addition. When your general manager is 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 willing to go out and and say that in public, insane. And and I think ultimately, I think this shows for one that Utah is going to have a different philosophy under Danny Ainge, but also it shows that it's not just about putting a ton of talented players together. It's about putting together a group of guys that want to win for each other. Right. Guys that buy in. That's the most important. Yeah. And Jeff, I don't know about you, but even just the whispers of of the relationship of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, that was enough to break a team. Yeah, I think that was the tip of the iceberg, to be honest with you. I think there was a lot more, you know, going on in Utah because we've been, I mean, we've been talking as long as we've been doing content, but even before then, I'm sure you've had conversations. I have conversations with people about the Utah Jazz and, you know, Utah make the playoffs. All right. They're about, I think their ceiling is about the second round. You know, that's always what it's been for Utah. So uh, for Danny Age to come out and say that, as a Utah fan, I actually like it. Because I, I I know I have a guy in charge right now in Danny Ainge that, number one, knows what it takes to win, but knows what kind of players need to be here in order to win. And obviously, you didn't have it already in Utah. I like Donovan Mitchell, but again, to his point, 
Like, is he a guy that you build a championship team around or is he a guy that complements a championship team? I think he's a guy that complements a championship team. So Danny Ainge, I actually like the comments. I know it's honest and people, it's funny because guys who are former players, I think they have a different way of, they, they can say things very blunt and it's like, all right, he gets it. Like right. this is something Troy probably wouldn't come out and say, like right. Troy wouldn't be like, these guys don't care, you know, whatever, but well, gotta respect the honesty. Well, and even then too, the other thing you have to consider is this is just what the jazz are sharing with the media, right? This right. is what, this right. is the way that they're spinning the narrative and showing why they made the decisions that they made. And they were very matter of fact about it. They were very professional about it. But even I even I heard Brian Windhorst bring up the point of that is a very abbreviated, very toned down version of the reality. And I think there is a reality and a truth that I think there was some ugly things happening in that locker room. I think there was a lot of distrust and animosity between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and everyone on that roster. I think there was a certain amount of distrust that was built up. And I think that we saw this last year. After what happened after that, after another disappointing playoff run against the Clippers and, you know, obviously this last year against the Mavericks, it became pretty apparent this team just didn't really think they could win. No, it was it was always built to like if you look at Utah and look at how they built this team, like it just never made sense to me. Like right. I, it never did. Like Rudy Gobert is, is you could talk about the defensive player of the year awards and and how good he's been. But like for him to for people to, you know, put donovan and, and rudy on this pedestal of like you got your one-two punch like that was never going to work so um i actually like when, when a general manager has the balls to be like you know what whatever you guys have going on like a danny angels brought from the outside he comes in and looks at this roster and goes this ain't this ain't winning the championship this ain't getting yeah. done so let's move on let's make changes and uh i love it to be very proactive instead of be like you know what let's give this guy a, let's give donovan mitchell another year maybe let's give them a no he's like you know what this is this hasn't worked and i don't think it will ever work so right let's get assets for him so i love it yeah it works for, sure. for Boston. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and, and you know the other thing too is that it just shows there's levels to this when it comes to the front office like even though the utah jazz like by and large were a pretty stable organization where winning basketball games were among the top of the standings in the Western conference at the end of the day, Jeff, it shows that there's a difference in how you build a team to be in the mix and then build a team. That's a for real contender. And so going forward, like I think what you're seeing is for Utah, obviously the haul that they got back, this is a great opportunity for them to hit the reset button to go into a different direction and to take this franchise into a different philosophical approach as far as how they play the game. Obviously now they're going to be in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. And even if they don't get Victor Wembanyama, they're still going to probably get a top three player in this draft and end up being in a pretty darn good spot. And even if they don't, they still have multiple first round picks to deal with because of the Rudy Gobert trade and because of the Donovan Mitchell trade. So now the good thing is, You're going to have multiple options to select in that draft room, and you're going to have one of the best drafters in the business doing your work for you. I mean, a guy who, again, we talked about the Boston Celtics and all the success that they had, and a lot of people were like, oh, well, Danny Ainge wasn't really doing a great job there towards the end. What exactly is he doing? That proved to be a damn lie after this past season. I mean, that was largely the Danny Ainge roster that made it to the finals. Yeah, and another thing too, and that, that I love about Danny Ainge is like most general managers, and I'm I shouldn't say most, but young general managers or guys that are getting newly hired, like they don't have the balls to do this because mm-hmm. general some general managers would rather be mediocre 
but at least you can say, well, we made the playoffs. We, I've, I've got this team to the playoffs for multiple years. It yeah. takes kahunas to get rid of your entire, your two best players and be like, you know what? We're going to build this thing from the, from, from the ground up because that's something you have to sell to your fans as well. Yeah. Like, so again, I got to give credit to Danny Ainge because a lot of some organizations are willing to be mediocre. Like how many other teams in the NBA can you look at and be like, that ain't a championship roster. I don't think that'll ever be a championship roster. There's a couple. And I think there's one out in New York oh, right now. Oh, so, there's more. Oh, there's more than a couple, Jeff. Yeah. There's, there's more than half of the league. Yeah. Yeah. There's not too many contenders. So mm-hmm. uh, Danny Ainge, man, he's a. Uh, He's the guy, man. Utah, I think I, I want to see Utah fast forward in like five years. I want to see what they got. Yeah. I think it'll be a completely different franchise from what we've seen uh, with with Donovan and, and Rudy Gobert. I'm pretty high on Troy Weaver, but I think it's fair to say as of right now, Danny Ainge is the best executive in basketball. Yeah, I think the trio would would and, have you'd have you or you probably do four if you want to do like a top five. It'd be Bob Myers. You have uh, Danny Ainge. You have uh, Sam Presti and, and Troy Weaver. I think those guys are all on, the, on this pedestal of like, they just operate differently. Like these yeah. guys are just different. Yeah. And and people might look at us as homers or might like be like, might think we're biased when we're saying that Troy Weaver's up there. And obviously there's still things that he has to prove. And gotta win. Still, you gotta win. Yeah. He's still, yeah. He's got to win, but also, you know, like what trades he are, is he going to make? Like, what are the, what's the next phase of how he's going to take this rebuild? But if you're looking at what he did in the, as far as drafting, if you'll get the talent again, we talk about like what the roster he inherited and where he's at now. May, may I remind you again, Jeff, who our top young prospects were when Troy Weaver took over this team, oh, Sekou Dumboya, Luke Kennard, Svee Mackay Luke, Bruce Brown. And he wow. took that and flipped that into what we have now. And, but, and he's not like, one of the best GMs in basketball. My ass cheek. But we, we bring up self-awareness. Yeah, Troy but. has self-awareness. Like he, mm-hmm. he walked into a Pistons team and was like, you know what? This day needs some work. Let's get to let's get to making deals. Let's get to changing things. Those are great general managers. Like they walk in and, and you could tell Troy's learned a lot from Sam Presti, just being there, being his right hand man. But like that's that's why we have him in that conversation. It has nothing to do with winning. Like Sam Presti didn't win a championship with OKC. Like it's it's right. not all about winning. It's about can you identify talent? He got you, three MVPs. There you go. And I think Troy Weaver, it, what, it's too early because these guys are so young. But when it's all said and done, I think Troy will have a resume. He already does with guys he's helped draft. But actually, as a general manager, he'll have a track record of damn good players. So Yeah, for sure. Jeff, you and I are going to have a little bit of a resume by the time we're done in this business, damn it, because we are coming for the crown. But with that, my friend, it's always good to have an episode. This was a good episode, man. We, we just Fair dove fun. into it. We had some real talks. We had some laughs. This was a journey, man. All gas, no brakes. All gas, uh, no brakes, baby. 100%. But, you know, obviously, Miss Troy, shout out to him. We love him, and we'll be excited for when he gets back from all the wedding festivities and stuff. But with that, be sure you're following Troy on Twitter at TroySergey44. Be sure you're following my guy, Jeff, at Jeff Iafrady. And also, Jeff, people better be catching you every every freaking morning, right? Do it. Every morning, Monday through Friday on the Woolworth Sports Network, 8 to 10, me and Adam going at it. It's like a boxing match, 10 rounds for two hours. We're going at it, so uh, yeah. tune in. And then sometimes I get to come in, and then I get to beat you both up, and it's great. But... It's it's more like I use you as a shield. Like I'm like, Sean, you fight Adam, and I'll just get like a 20-minute break here. Yeah, it's uh, like I get to come in, and I get to be the one to tell Adam he's full of shit for a little bit. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it's back to your job for the rest of the yeah. show. Oh, my gosh. But yeah. no. 
Also, be sure you're following myself on Twitter as well. Uh, also, be sure you're following From Half Court on social media as well. You can find us on pretty much every social media platform at FH Court Pod. And on TikTok, we are From Half Court. But with that, folks, we want to thank you all so much for tuning in, making From Half Court a weekly part of your basketball life. And we will catch you guys next time from Half Court. Be sure to subscribe.